Section sixty two of London Labour and the London Poor by Henry Mayhew, Volume One. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Peter Yearsley. The Street Folk, Part sixty two. Of the life of a street seller of dog collars. From the well known vendor of these articles, whose portrait was given in number ten of this work, I had the following sketch of his history. I was born in Brewer Street, St. James he said in answer to my questions i am seventy-three years of age my father and mother were poor people i never went to school my father died when i was young my mother used to go out charring she couldn't afford to pay for schooling and told me i must look out and yearn my own living while i was a mere chick at ten years of age i went to sea in the merchant service while i was in the merchant service i could get good wages for i soon knowed my duty i was always of an industrious turn and never liked to be idle don't you see what i mean in ninety seven i was pressed on board the inconstant frigate i was paid off six months afterwards but hadn't much to take and that like all other young men who hadn't learned the dodges of life i spent very soon but i never got drunk thank god said the old man i never got drunk or i shouldn't have been what i am now at seventy-three years of age i was drafted into the woolwich forty-four gun ship from her to the overisel I inquired how the name of the ship was spelt. Oh, I'm not scholared enough for that, he replied, though I did learn to read and write when I board a man of war. I learned myself, but you must look into a Dutch dictionary, for it's a Dutch name. I then entered on board the Amphine frigate, and after I had served some months in her, I entered the merchant service again, and after that I went to Greenland, to the whale fishery. They calls me here in the college. Note, he is now an inmate of Greenwich Hospital. End note. Whaler Ben, but I aren't affronted. Most on em here have nicknames. I went three voyages besides to the West Indies. I never got drunk even there, though I was obliged to drink rum. It wouldn't have done to a drunk the water neat. There were so many insects in it. When my sailor's life was over, I comes to Liverpool and marries a wife. I and as good a wife as any poor man ever had in England. I had saved a goodish bit of money, nearly three hundred pounds for I was not so foolish as some of the poor sailors, who yearns their money like horses and spends it like asses, I say. Well, we sets up a shop, a chandler shop, in Liverpool, me and my old woman does, and I also entered into the pig-dealing line. I used to get some of my pigs from Ireland, and some I used to breed myself, but I was very misfortunate. You recollect the year when the disease was among the cattle? In course you recollect that. Well, sir, I lost twenty-four pigs and a horse in one year, and that was a good loss for a poor man, weren't it? I thought it very hard, for I'd worked hard for my money at sea, and I was always very careful, after I knowed what life was. My poor wife, too, used to trust a good deal in the shop, and by and by, behold you, me and my old woman was on our beam ends. My wife was took ill, too, and for the purpose of getting the best advice, I brings her to London. But her cable had run out, and she died and I've been a poor forlorn creature ever since. You wouldn't think it, but after that I never slept on a bed for seven years. I had blankets and my clothes, but what I means is that I never had a bed to lie on. I sold most of my bits of things to bury my wife. I didn't relish applying to the parish. I kept a few sticks, though, for I don't like them here lodging-houses. I can't be a wery bad character, for I was seven years under one landlord and I warrant me, if I wanted a room again, he would let me have one. 
aunt and my wife died knowing summer about ropes i get works at mabberley's the great contractors in course you knows him i made rope traces for the artillery there's a good deal of leather work about the traces and stitching them you see puts me up to the making of dogs collars i was always handy with my fingers and can make shoes or anything i can work now as well as ever i could in my life only my eyes isn't so good ain't it curious now sir that what a man larns in his fingers he never forgets well being out of work i was knocking about for some time and then i was advised to apply for a board to carry at one of them cheap tailors but i didn't get none so i takes to hawking link buttons and key rings and buy some brass dog collars it was them brass collars as made me bethought myself as i could make some leather ones although i had been better off i don't think it any disgrace to get a honest living the leather collars is harder to make than the brass ones only the brass ones wants more implements there are about a dozen selling in the streets as makes brass collars there's not much profit on the brass ones people says there's nothing like leather and i think they are right well sir as i was a-telling you i commences the leather collar making in course i didn't make em as well at first as i do now it was very hard lines at the best of times i used to get up at four o'clock in the morning in the summer time and make my collars then i'd turn out about nine and keep out until seven or eight at night i seldom took more than two shillings per day what profit did i get out of two shillings why lord bless you sir if i hadn't made them myself i shouldn't have got no profit at all but as it was if i took two shillings the profit was from one shilling to one shilling and sixpence howsomever sometimes i didn't take sixpence wet days too used to run me aground altogether my rheumatics used to bore me always when the rain come down and then i couldn't get out to sell if i'd any leather at them times i used to make it up but if i hadn't none why i was obligated to make the best on it oh sir you little knows what i've suffered many a banyan day i've had in my little room upon a wet day ay and other days too why i think i'd a starved if it hadn't been for the busmen about hungerford market they are good lads them their bus lads to such as me they used to buy my collars when they didn't want them ask any on em if they know anything about old tom the collar maker and see if they don't flare up and respect me they used sometimes to raffle my collars and give em back to me mr longstaff too the landlord of the hungerford arms i believe it's called the hungerford hotel has given me something to eat very often when i was hungry and had nothing myself there's what you call a honorary there every day he knows what i mean gentlemen has their grub there at so much a head or so much a belly it should be i says i used to come in for the scraps and worry thankful i was for them i can assure you yes mr longstaff is what you may call a good man he's what you calls an odd man and a odd man's always a good man all i got to say is god bless him he's fed me many time when i've been hungry i used to light upon other friends too landlords of public houses where i used to hawk my collars they seemed to take to me somehow it weren't for what i spent in their houses i'm sure seeing as how i had nothing to spend i had no pension for my service and so i was advised to apply for admission to the house here note greenwich hospital end note i goes to somerset house another poor fellow was making an application at the same time but i didn't nothing till one very cold day when i was standing quite miserable like with my collars i'd been out several hours and hadn't taken a penny when up comes the man as wanted to get into the house running with all his might to me i thought he was going to tell me he had got into the house and i was glad on it for poor fellow he was very bad off 
Howsomever, he says to me, Tom, says he, they wants you at the Admiralty. Does they? says I, and accordingly away I goes. And arter telling the Admiral my service, and answering a good many questions, as he put to me, the Admiral says, says he, the order will be made out. You shall go into the house. I think the Admiral knowed me, or something about me, you see. I don't know his name, and it wouldn't a done to have axed. God bless him, whoever he is, I says, and shall say to my dying day. It seemed like providence. I hadn't taken a halfpenny all that day. I was cold and hungry and suffering great pain from my rheumatics. Thank God, exclaimed the old man in conclusion. I'm quite comfortable now. I've everything I want except a little more tea and sugar, but I'm quite content, and thank God for all his mercies. The old man informed me, moreover, that he did not think there were more than half a dozen street-sellers beside himself who made leather collars. It was a poor trade, he said, and though the other makers were younger than he was, he could lick them all at stitching. He did not believe, he told me, that any of the collar-sellers sold more than he did, if as many, for he had friends that perhaps other men had not. He makes collars now sometimes, and wishes he could get some shopkeeper to sell them for him, and then maybe, he says, he could obtain a little more tea and sugar, and assist a sister-in-law of his, whom he tells me is in great distress, and whom he has been in the habit of assisting for many years, notwithstanding his poverty. The old man, during the recital of his troubles, was affected to tears several times, especially when he spoke of his wife and the distress he had undergone, and with much sincerity blessed God for the comforts that he now enjoys. Of the Street Sellers of Tools These people are of the same class as the sellers of hardware articles, though so far a distinct body that they generally sell tools only. The tools are of the commonest kind, and supplied by the cheapest swag shops, from which establishments the majority of the street traders derive their supplies. They are sometimes displayed on a small barrow, sometimes on a stall, and are mostly German-made. The articles sold and the price asked, and generally obtained, as no extravagant profit is demanded, is shown by the following. Claw hammers, sixpence, large claw, black and glaze-faced, one shilling, pincers, fourpence, larger ones, sixpence, screwdrivers, from tuppence to one shilling, flat-nose pliers, sixpence a pair, squares, sixpence to one shilling, carpenter's oil cans, from ninepence to one shilling and threepence, nests of bradawls, for joiners and in wooden cases, sixpence to two shillings, back saws, one shilling to two shillings and sixpence. While many of the street sellers of tools travel the several thoroughfares and suburbs of the metropolis, others vend tools of a particular kind in particular localities. These localities and sellers may be divided into four distinct classes. 1. The street sellers of tools in the markets. 2. The street sellers of tools at the docks and warehouses. 3. The street sellers of tools at mews, stable yards, and job masters. And 4. The street sellers of tools to working men at their workshops. The markets which are usually frequented by the vendors of tools are Newgate and Leadenhall. There are, I am informed, only five or six street sellers who at present frequent these markets on the busy days. The articles in which they deal are butchers, saws, cleavers, steels, meat hooks, and knives. These saws they sell from two shillings to four shillings each, knives and steels from ninepence to one shilling and threepence each, 
cleavers from one shilling and sixpence to two shillings each, and meat hooks at one penny, twopence, and threepence each, according to the size. It is very seldom, however, that cleavers are sold by the street sellers, as they are too heavy to carry about. I am told that the trade of the tool sellers in Newgate and Leadenhall markets is now very indifferent, owing chiefly to the butchers having been so frequently imposed upon by the street sellers that they are either indisposed or afraid to deal with them. When the itinerant tool sellers are not occupied at the markets, they vend their wares to tradesmen at private shops, but often without success. It is a poor living, said one of the hawkers to me, sometimes little better than starving. I have gone out a whole day and haven't taken a farthing. I am informed that the greater portion of these street sellers are broken down butchers. The tools they vend are purchased at the Brummagem warehouses. To start in this branch of the street business, five shillings or ten shillings usually constitutes the amount of capital invested in stock, and the average takings of each are about two shillings or two shillings and sixpence a day. A dozen years back, twenty such men offered saws at my shop, said a butcher in a northern suburb to me. Now there's only one, and he seems half-starving, poor fellow, and looks very hungrily at the meat. Perhaps he's away he's got to have a bit given him, as it is sometimes. The only street seller of tools at present frequenting Billingsgate Market is an elderly man who is by trade a working cutler. The articles he displays upon his tray are oyster knives, fish knives, steels, scissors, packing needles, and hammers. This tradesman makes his own oyster knives and fish knives. The scissors and hammers are second-hand, and the packing needles are bought at the ironmongers. Sometimes braddles, gimlets, nails, and screws form a part of his stock. He informed me that he had frequented Billingsgate Market upwards of ten years. Wet or dry, he said, I am here and I often suffer from rheumatics in the head and limbs. Sometimes I have taken only a few pence. On other occasions I have taken three shillings or four shillings, but this is not very often. However, what with the little I take at Billingsgate and at other places, I can just get a crust and go on from day to day. The itinerant saw-sellers offer their goods to anyone in the street, as well as at the shops, and are at the street markets on Saturday evenings with small saws for use in cookery. With the butchers they generally barter rather than sell, taking any old saw in exchange with so much money for a new one. I was brought up a butcher, said one of these saw-sellers, and worked as a journeyman, off and on, between twenty and thirty year. But I grew very delicate from rheumatics, and my old woman was bad too, so that we once had to go into Marylebone workhouse. I had no family living, perhaps they're better as it is. We discharged ourselves after a time, and they gave us five shillings. I then thought I'd try and sell a few saws and things. A master butcher that's been a friend to me lent me another five shillings, and I asked a man as sold saws to butchers to put me in the way of it, and he took me to a swag shop. I do worry badly, sir, but I'll not deny, and I can't deny, not anyhow, when you tell me Mr. Blank told you about me, that there's helps to me. If I make a bargain for so much, or for old saws or cleavers or any old butcher thing, and so much, a man what knows me says, Well, old boy, you don't look satisfied. Here's a bit of steak for you. Sometimes it's a cut off a scrag of mutton or wheel. That gives the old woman and me a good nourishing bit of grub. I can work at times, and every Saturday almost, I'm now a porter to a butcher. I carries his meat from Newgate when he's killed himself and wants no more than a man's weight from the market. 
and when he hasn't killed hisself, in course he hires a cart. I makes one shilling a day the year round, I think, on saws, and my old woman makes more than half as much at charring, and there's the helps, and then I gets eighteen pence, and my grub every Saturday. It's no use grumbling. Lots isn't grubbed half so well as me and my old woman. My rent's twenty pence a week. The articles vended by the second class of the street sellers of tools, or those whose purchases are mostly connected with the docks and warehouses, consist of iron-handled claw hammers, spanners, bed keys, and corkscrews. Of these street traders there are ten or twelve, and the greater portion of them are blacksmiths out of employ. Some make their own hammers, whereas others purchase the articles they vend at the swag shops. We sell more hammers and bed keys than other things, said one and sometimes we sells a corkscrew to the landlord of a public house, and then we have perhaps half a pint of beer. Our principal customers for spanners are wheelwrights. Those for hammers are egg merchants, oilmen, wax and tallow chandlers, and other tradesmen who receive or send out goods in wooden cases, as well as chance customers in the streets. The amount of capital required to start in the line is from five shillings to fifteen shillings. It is not much use, said one, to go to shop with less than ten shillings. A third class of the street sellers of tools are the vendors of curry combs and brushes, main combs, scrapers, and clipping instruments, and these articles are usually sold at the several mews, stable yards, and jobbing masters in and about the metropolis. The sellers are mostly broken-down grooms, who, not being able to obtain a situation, resort to street selling as a last shift. It is the last coach when a man takes to this kind of living, said one of my informants, a groom in a good place. And it's getting worse and worse. The poor fellows look half-starved. Why, what do you think I gave for these scissors? I got them for sixpence and a pint of beer, and I should have to give perhaps half a crown for them at a shop. The trade is fast declining, and to gentlemen's carriage muse, the street sellers of such tools rarely resort as the instruments required for stable use are now bought by the coachmen of the tradesmen who supply their masters. At the mixed mews, as I heard them called, there are two men who, along with razors, knives, and other things, occasionally offer clipping and trimming scissors. Four or five years ago there were four of these street sellers. The trimming scissors are, in the shops, one shilling and sixpence to two shillings and sixpence a pair. There is one trade still carried on in these places, although it is diminutive compared to what it was. I allude to the sale of curry combs. Those vended by street sellers at the mews are sold at sevenpence or sixpence. The best sale for these curry combs is about Coventry Street and the Haymarket, and at the livery stables generally. Along with curry combs, the street vendors sell wash leathers, main combs, horn, sponges, which were like dried moss for a while, I was told, got up by the Jews, but which are now good. Dandy brushes, whalebone brushes, to scrape dirt from a horse's legs before he is groomed, spoke brushes, to clean carriage wheels, and coach mops. One dweller in a large West End mews computed that one hundred different street traders resorted thither daily, and that twenty sold the articles I have specified. In this trade, I am assured, there are no broken-down coachmen or grooms, only the regular street sellers. A commoner curry comb is sold at twopence, prime cost one shilling and threepence a dozen, at Smithfield on market days, 
and to the carmen and the owners of the rougher sorts of horses but this trade is not extensive there may be ten men i am told selling common curries and they also sell other articles often horse oil cloths and nose bags along with them the last class of street sellers is the beaten out mechanic or workman who through blindness age or infirmities is driven to obtain a livelihood by supplying his particular craft with their various implements of this class as i have before stated there are six men in london who were brought up as tailors but are now through some affliction or privation incapacitated from following their calling these men sell needles at four and five for a penny thimbles one penny to twopence each scissors from one shilling to two shillings and sixpence and wax one penny the lump there are also old and blind shoemakers who sell a few articles of grindery to their shopmates as they term them as well as a few decayed members of other trades hawking the implements of the handicraft to which they formerly belonged but as i have already given a long account of one of this class under the head of the blind needle seller there is no occasion for me to speak further on the subject from one of the street traders in sores i had the following account of his struggles as well as the benefit he received from teetotalism of which he spoke very warmly his room was on the fourth floor of a house in a court near hoban and was clean and comfortable looking there were good-sized pictures in frames of the queen the last supper and a rural scene besides minor pictures some of these had been received in exchange for sores with street picture sellers a shelf was covered with china ornaments such as are sold in the streets the table had its oilskin cover and altogether i have seldom seen a more decent room the rent unfurnished was two shillings a week i've been eight years in this trade sir the saw seller said but i was brought up to a very different one when a lad i worked in a coal pit along with my father but his behaviour to me was so cruel he beat me so that i ran away and walked every step from the north of england to london i can't say i ever repented running away much as i've gone through my money was soon gone when i got to london and my way of speaking was laughed at note he had now very little of a provincial accent End note. that's fourteen year back why indeed sir it puzzles me to tell you how i lived then when i did live i jobbed about the markets and slept when i could pay for a lodging at the cheap lodging houses so i got into the way of selling a few things in the streets as i saw others do i sold laces and children's handkerchiefs sometimes i was miserable enough when i hadn't a farthing and if i managed to make a sixpence i got tipsy on it for six weeks i slept every night in the peckham union for another five or six weeks i slept every night in the dark arches by the strand i've sometimes had twenty or thirty companions there i used to lie down on the bare stones and was asleep in a minute and slept like a top all night but waking was very bad i felt stiff and sore and cold and miserable how i lived at all is a wonder to me about eleven years ago i was persuaded to go to a temperance meeting in harp alley note farringdon street end note and there i signed the pledge that is i made my mark for i can't read or write which has been a great hinder to me if i'd been a scholard a teetotal gent would have got me into the police three years ago about the time i got married i did better of course when i was a teetotaler no more dark arches i sold a few little shawls in the streets then but it was hardly bread and butter and coffee at times eight year ago 
I thought I would try saw selling. A shopkeeper advised me, and I began on six salt saws, which I sold to oil men. They're for cutting salt only, and are made of zinc, as steel would rust and dirty the salt. The trade was far better at first than it is now. In good weeks I earned sixteen shillings to eighteen shillings. In bad weeks, ten shillings or twelve shillings. Now I may earn ten shillings, not more, a week, pretty regular. Yesterday I made only sixpence. Oil men are better customers than chance street buyers, for I'm known to them. There's only one man besides myself selling nothing but saws. I walk, I believe, a hundred miles every week, and that I couldn't do, I know, if I wasn't teetotal. I never long for a taste of liquor if I'm ever so cold or tired. It's all poisonous. The saws sold are eight inch, which cost at the swag shops eight shillings and eight shillings and sixpence a dozen, ten inch, nine shillings and nine shillings and sixpence, and so on, the price advancing according to the increased size, to eighteen inch, thirteen shillings and sixpence a dozen. Larger sizes are seldom sold in the streets. The second man's earnings, my informant believed, were the same as his own. The wife of my informant, when she got work as an embroideress, could earn eleven shillings and twelve shillings. At present she was at work braiding dresses for a dressmaker, at twopence halfpenny each. By hard work, and if she had not her baby to attend to, she could earn no more than sevenpence halfpenny a day. As it was, she did not earn sixpence. Of the Beggar Street Sellers Under this head I include only such of the beggar street sellers as are neither infirm nor suffering from any severe bodily affliction or privation. I am well aware that the aged, the blind, the lame, and the halt often pretend to sell small articles in the street, such as bootlaces, tracts, cabbage nets, lucifer matches, kettle holders, and the like and that such matters are carried by them partly to keep clear of the law, and partly to evince a disposition to the public that they are willing to do something for their livelihood. But these being really objects of charity, they belong more properly to the second main division of this book, in which the poor, or those that can't work, and their several means of living, will be treated of. Such, though beggars, are not lurkers, a lurker being strictly one who loiters about for some dishonest purpose. Many modes of thieving, as well as begging, are termed lurking. The dead lurk, for instance, is the expressive slang phrase for the art of entering dwelling-houses during divine service. The term lurk, however, is mostly applied to the several modes of plundering by representations of sham distress. It is of these alone that I purpose here treating or rather of that portion of them which pretends to deal in manufactured articles. In a few instances the street-sellers of small articles of utility are also the manufacturers. Many, however, say that they are the producers of the things they offer for sale, thinking thus to evade the necessity of having a hawker's license. The majority of these petty dealers know little of the manufacture of the goods they vend, being mere tradesmen. Some few profess to be the makers of their commodities solely with the view of enlisting sympathy, and thus either selling the trifles they carry at an enormous profit, or else of obtaining arms. An inmate of one of the low lodging-houses has supplied me with the following statement. Within my recollection, says my informant, the great branch of trade among these worthies was the sale of sewing cotton, either in skeins or on reels. In the former case, the article cost the lurkers about eightpence per pound, 
one pound would produce thirty skeins which sold at one penny each or two for three halfpence produced a heavy profit the lurkers could mostly dispose of three pounds per day the article was of course damaged rotten and worthless the mode of sale consisted in the lurkers calling at the several houses in a particular district and representing themselves as manchester cotton spinners out of employ long tales of course were told of the distresses of the operatives and of the oppression of their employers these tales had for the most part been taught them at the padding ken by some old and experienced dodger of the school and if the spokesman could patter well a much larger sum was frequently obtained in direct arms than was reaped by the sale cotton on reels was except to the purchaser a still better speculation the reels were large handsomely mounted and displayed in bold relief such inscriptions as the following pike's patent cotton one hundred and twenty yards the reader however must divide the one hundred and twenty yards here mentioned by twelve and then he will arrive at something like the true secret as to the quantity for the surface only was covered by the thread the cotton lurk is now coopered worn out a more common dodge and of course only an excuse for begging is to envelope a packet of warranted needles or a few inches of real honiton lace in an envelope with a few lines to the lady of the house or a printed bill setting forth the misery of the manufacturers and the intention of the parties leaving the fakement to presume to call for an answer in a few hours i subjoin a copy of one of these documents the lace-makers appeal it is with extreme regret we thus presume to trespass on your time and attention we are lace-makers by trade and owing to the extensive improvements in machinery it has made hand labour completely useless so that it has thrown hundreds of honest and industrious men out of employment your petitioners are among the number fifteen men with their families have left their homes with the intention of emigrating to south australia and the only means we have of supporting ourselves till we can get away is by the sale of some frame thread and traced lace collars of our own manufacture at the following low prices fashionable frame lace collars threepence each warranted to wash and wear very well frame thread collars sixpence each traced lace collars one shilling each the best that can be made and we trust we shall meet with that encouragement from the friends of industry which our necessities require the enclosed two sixpence the party calling for this will have an assortment of the newest patterns of frame thread lace and edgings for your inspection and the smallest purchase will be thankfully received and gratefully remembered by g davis lace-makers we beg to state that a number of the families being destitute of clothing the bearer is authorized to receive any articles of such in exchange for lace edgings or collars allen printer long row nottingham these are left by one of the school at the houses of the gentry a mark being placed on the doorpost of such as are bone or gammy in order to inform the rest of the school where to call and what houses to avoid as the needles cost but a few pence per thousand and the lace less than one halfpenny per yard a few purchasers of the former at one shilling per packet twenty-five needles or of the latter at two shillings and sixpence per yard is what these lurkers term a fair day's work for a fair day's wages another and very extensive branch of the pseudo manufacturing fraternity is to be found among the sham street sellers of cutlery at some of the least respectable of the swag shops may be bought 
all the paraphernalia requisite in order to set up as the real manufacturer of Sheffield and Brummagem goods, including, beside the cutlery, chamois leather aprons, paper caps, ready crushed to give them the appearance of age and usage, and last but not least, a compound of black lead and tallow to take the granny off them as has white hands, so as the flats shan't tumble to the unworkmanlike appearance of the palms of the lurker. Thus got up for the part, continues my informant, and provided with a case of razors, which perhaps has cost him two groats, and if he can raise as much, a noggin of rum to give him cheek and make him speak up to his victims, Jack Beaver, the king of the street cutlers, will sally forth and meet, intercept, and follow any gentleman who seems a likely speck, till, worried perhaps by importunity, the swell buys what he does not want and I need scarcely add what he cannot use. Next in importance to Jack Beaver is a notorious Pat Connor. Pat does nothing on the blob. That is to say, he does not follow people and speak to them on the streets. His dodge, and it has been for years a successful one, is to go round to the public offices dressed as before described, with the exception of being in his shirt sleeves. He has every day a clean shirt, and tease the clerks till they purchase a penknife. He has been known to sell from fifteen to twenty knives in one day, at two shillings each, the first cost being about threepence halfpenny. Of course, he is often interrupted by porters and other officials, but he always carries in one hand a roll of wire and a small hammer in the other, and having got the name of some gentleman upstairs, he pretends that he is going to mend Mr. So-and-so's bell. This worthy, a short time ago, made free in the custom-house, with a timepiece belonging to one of the clerks, for which the Sheffield manufacturer <laughs> got twelve months in Newgate. I've not seen him since, adds my informant, and therefore imagine that he is now taking a provincial tour. End of section 62